you think you have to be training for a marathon or working out for hours each day just to be fit and have a better brain, that's just not true. Today, we welcome our guest, Jeff Gervitz. Jeff is the host of the Dad Strength Podcast and an expert in health and behavior change. He runs weekly online calls for men who want to earn that mug that says world's greatest dad. But even if you're not a dad, you'll benefit from his wisdom. Today, we'll touch on the challenges of getting moving, movement, and brain health, and get specific with some habits you can try right away. Welcome to, to our podcast, and I'm Dr. Shabnam Daskar. I'm a functional medicine doctor and a Tiny Habits certified coach. I teach people how to improve their focus, get rid of the brain fog, and reduce their risk of dementia. And I'm Andrea Spiros. I'm a professional speaker and a Tiny Habits certified coach. I work with organizations to harness the power of high-powered habits to increase engagement, resilience, and well-being. Jeff, Let's dive in and talk about the dreaded word exercise. We tried to uh, maybe change it, give it a better feel by calling it movement. But um, ultimately, there's some resistance around it. How do you address that with your clients? Oh, gosh. You know, I feel like culturally we've done a really great job of sucking all the fun out of exercise and movement, which are inherently enjoyable things. Um, and so whether you were traumatized by high school gym or um, you haven't had a good time in a boot camp or whatever sort of version, somebody else's vision of exercise is, uh, you know, what I would say is, look, this stuff feels good. Um, you, the process should be meaningful. And I don't think anybody really expects easy. Um, but it also doesn't have to be terrible. So you have to be willing to be a bit uncomfortable. And without, a, you know, with that out of the way, exercise can be phenomenal. So let's just agree before we go anywhere on this, that we're just going to do stuff that feels good. And if we do that, I think we're going to be okay. I love that agreement. And, and let's get a little more specific on that. It means if you don't like running, you don't have to choose to run, right? You can Correct. do something else that you actually want to do. Um, if you don't like what's the crunches, you don't have to do crunches. You can find another exercise or movement that helps you do the same thing, correct? There are a million ways up the mountain. So uh, if you wind up hitting a wall, uh, you don't have to bulldoze through it. You can go around it, under, over. There are lots of ways to get this done. Yeah, so there's nothing, there's no one exercise, there's no one method that is indispensable. And that's the nice thing. And let's talk a little bit about um, people's expectation about what they need to do. Um, a lot of times there's, I mean, you mentioned boot camps. People think they have to go to a boot camp or they have to go to a gym. What have you seen in your practice that benefits people around this topic? You know, I think the first question is how do we do this in a way that? has some kind of integrity. And, and by that, I don't mean necessarily, um, you know, in, in the, in the ethical sense, but, uh, although that should be there, I guess, but, um, how do we do something that doesn't cause pain where we don't feel like we're really in the weeds, right? A lot of, um, a lot of the injuries that people experience, um, are just from doing too much too soon. And if that's all we adjusted for, um, all of a sudden we would see 
uh, the potential for injury go way down. So to just kind of, you know, I always say start slow or pardon me, start low, add slow, right? So if we just kind of um, do an inoculation workout is the term I like to use, which is to say um, the thing you want to try, go do it, but do a version where you leave and say, I could have done quite a bit more, leave a lot in the tank. And then if you're able to come back the next day, and you still do have that energy, you're not overly sore or anything, then add incrementally. And through doing that, you begin to find uh, the sweet spot. So you don't have to hammer on your joints. Uh, you don't have to go do a 90-minute epic workout session if you're feeling you know, really deconditioned. A lot of folks I spoke to, especially coming out of the pandemic, just hadn't moved much at all. And so the, you know, the great news is the less fit you are and the less conditioned you are, the less you need to do to move forward. You know, if you think, ah, you know, I just, I get out of breath going up a flight of stairs. Great. You know what that means? Um, we can, we can use something like that as a first step for exercise. And as long as it elevates our heart rate and our respiration without, you know, us gasping for air, that's going to be productive. Uh, in fact, there's a, there was a study done at McMaster University here in Canada um, where they looked at, and, and this is sort of the home to a lot of research on intervals. And so they knew that if people accumulated a minute of intense exercise per day, uh, that could be productive. And then they said, well, what if that's too much? What if we, <laughs> what if we don't want to do it all at once? And they had people do, I think it was 80 steps. It was like three flights of stairs. Uh, so they would really push themselves for three flights of stairs and then they would go take a break between one and three hours, maybe a little longer. And they would do three of those over the course of the day. And in a, in a sedentary young population, like university aged, that was enough to see a significant difference in uh, cardiorespiratory health. How amazing is that? That is completely amazing. Oh. I am I, flabbergasted. And I think that gives people a lot of hope. Shabnam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I mean, just less than a minute. Yeah, I did know about the one minute exercise, but I, I didn't know about the less than a minute. And particularly, I think if we if people could time it around there, you know, after a meal, because we talk in on the brain podcast, we talk about the three top things that help with uh, with yeah, the foundations of brain health, optimal blood pressure levels, optimal blood glucose levels and low levels of chronic inflammation. And movement and exercise address all those areas. And when it comes to blood glucose levels, actually, even uh, two minutes of exercise after a meal, and not even exercise, this is just movement, after a meal has a huge impact on uh, blood glucose levels. Blood glucose levels can go down a lot. Now, Jeff, this is so interesting. All So many things you talked about, and I thought, oh, my God, we could talk forever. So all of us know that, you know, exercise has these huge benefits and, you know, so basically what does exercise do for the brain? One of the things is exercise increases levels of something called BDNF. So that's a growth factor for the brain and it improves mood. We know that, I mean, we know we have enough data on that. And it also, you know, it also helps with blood glucose, blood pressure and inflammation, all those things. Mm -hmm. But one thing is, Jeff, we all know exercise is very good for us. But then why is it that we, most people now, not the type of people who meet you, probably the ones who meet me, 
most of them struggle with starting and maintaining an, an exercise habit. Why is that? I just think we've built up all these stories culturally about um, exercise having to look a certain way, or we've seen too many movies with these these montages um, and people feel like they have to get beat up or it's got to be absolutely, you know, you've got to be a grease spot on the floor by the end of an exercise session. And, you know, it's just not true. So, uh, you know, like I was saying, the less conditioned you are, the less fit you are, the easier it is to make progress. So um, I think your job really is to put yourself in a position where you feel safe, you know, you're not doing anything, you know, overly risky, and you feel challenged, right? You give yourself an opportunity to feel uncomfortable. And I think one of the great carry you know, carryover effects of exercise um, is this increased resilience because you're basically, you know, if life throws stresses at you, they're a lot of times out of your control. And I think everybody, you know, even though we're, you know, we're very fortunate, um, you know, here in North America, uh, by and large, we, we, we have pretty safe lives for the, you know, for the most part. Um, however, we still feel the effects of stress. And just because, um, you know, like an, I don't know, an emergency work email that comes in at, at, at three in the morning or something, or just before you go to bed, just because yeah. um, it's, it's physiologically or it's, or it's, there's, there's no sort of external threat. It doesn't mean we won't get a heightened stress response in that same way. So what I love about exercise is we give ourselves the opportunity. We volitionally um, enter into this situation where you say, okay, I am challenged. I am uncomfortable. And you navigate that because what you're doing is both, you know, it's good for your body and it's good for your brain. And so all you have to do, and this is what I would say to anyone who thinks, ah, I just don't know. I'm just, str I'm struggling to kind of get started or do anything. What I would say is pick a version of movement where you have the opportunity to feel challenge and that maybe that's a brisk walk. Maybe that's a brisk walk on, um, on a treadmill, on an incline or up a hill. Um, you know, maybe it's biking. It could be anything. Um, it could be dancing. It could be, you know, there, there are lots of video games that can get you physically active. So whatever it is, um, move around until you have an opportunity to feel uncomfortable. And then just spend a little more time in that zone. And if that's all you ever do, you're going to do great because as your body adapts and bodies are beautifully adaptable, you know, humans aren't, aren't the strongest species. I'm not even convinced we're the smartest, but we are <laughs> the most adaptable. And, you know, so when you're, as your body adjusts to this, what used to cause discomfort, right? Um, you will adapt to. And so um, you get an opportunity to kind of do a little bit more and to do, do it a little bit more. So your experience never really changes even though your body's adapting and, and, um, and your health markers are improving. There are lots of ways to do this. And wow. I think one of the things that's most important is that there are, are many ways you can match yourself with the right behaviors and you don't have to do a lot to get a lot of results. And especially if you're out there coming out of the pandemic, you've been out of your routine for a while, uh, you're thinking, how can I even get started? You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck just by doing something small, even one minute. Let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about um, executive function and your take on what 
exercise and movement can do for the brain? Because you have a unique framework. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I think the first thing, most of the research on the relationship between exercise and brain health is, is around aerobic exercise. And there's a good reason for that. Um, if your delivery system, if your plumbing is not in order, uh, it kind of doesn't matter what else is going on. So we want good, you know, we, we think about vascular health, um, you know, from, from, you know, the perspective of your heart, but you know, that, that extends to your brain too. I'm trying to remember it's, it's something like, like, uh, capillary density in the human brain is, is like, you know, something like 27 vessels per square millimeter, like the tip of a, of a sharpened pencil. You've got, you've got over 27 blood vessels in that little space. And so making sure that, that we can get your oxygen and nutrient supply, uh, to the brain is, is sort of a first priority. Um, you know, in, in terms of executive function, that's just your ability to say, focus on a task, um, to organize, to, to manage stress, uh, to manage distraction, uh, beyond that, you know, I think part of it is that crossover, uh, that, you know, that I was describing before in terms of your ability to just manage discomfort. I think discomfort tolerance is, is what makes more resilient human beings and has a lot of carryover. Um, you know, when we talk about strength and conditioning for athletes, the, there, we have this magic word transfer. Okay. Um, you know, we're doing this movement. Will it transfer into better performance? If we are doing, um, you know, heavy squats, will that give, um, you know, alignment of a quicker first step, you know, when, after, after the ball snap, for example. Right. Um, but I think, you know, most of us aren't pro athletes. And, and so what else do we have? What else does this transfer for? And, and, and I think the most universal form of transfer is the ability to, um, to do hard things is to have that sort of physical and mental resilience to do the things that are important to you. So um, if it is, you know, whether it's energy or mental focus that's holding you back from what's really important to you, this is a vehicle um, to improve all of those markers. And it, you know, doesn't, doesn't take a ton of time necessarily. Again, if you want world-class athletic performance, yeah, this, this is a full-time commitment. But if you just want to, um, you know, manage your mood, uh, your emotional health, your cognitive health, you can do this with a relatively small time investment. Excellent. Shabnam, what are your thoughts on, on movement and brain health and what people can see in their real lives? I mean, what does that really look like in terms of what you see with your clients? So one of the things I focus on is, you know, movement throughout the day, because a lot of us the work we do has become more sedentary. We spend a lot of time in front of computers. So instead of you know focusing on exercise all the time, because as you both you and Jeff mentioned about the the negative connotation sometimes people have with that term, the interesting thing is this continuous sitting or you know what is called the the sitting uh, disease. It's not a new disease, but it's all the problems, particularly to metabolism and blood glucose levels and higher inflammation, and obviously all of those affect brain function, that comes from sitting continuously. And the interesting thing is that a lot of studies have shown that even if people are, you know, they are otherwise, you know, they look fit and they go to the gym half an hour in the morning, if they come back and sit in the office for several hours continuously, that still impairs their health. 
And this is a surprise to many people because they think, oh, I go to the gym and I do all the right things. So, you know, this should not apply to me, but it does. And uh, so the fact is, you know, how can we reduce a sedentary time is one of the things I focus on. And again, in the Tiny Habits world, we have a whole lot of recipes on how to reduce sedentary time. And we will uh, we will have a handout on the show notes about how you can interrupt things like, you know, using when you're talking on the phone, just, you know, st- stand up and walk around instead of sitting. And mm-hmm. I use a sit-stand desk, so I got it off my <laughs> chair in the office. So these are some, I mean, there are many other ways to do that. And the other important thing is, you know, is the exercise concentrated in one part of the day versus are you doing it at different times? So studies have again shown whether you exercise for 30 minutes at a stretch or if you can divide that into 10 minutes over three times in the day, that can show a lot of benefits too. So the bottom line is, Jeff, what you've been saying and Andrea, you've been saying as well, there is no one you know ideal way to exercise for the brain. It's like, you know, it's whatever you can. And as as you said, Jeff, the best benefits come from moving from being completely sedentary to even a little bit of movement. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, while you were talking about, you know, executive function and doing something a little bit more difficult. So interestingly, our brains work best when we start doing things that are just a little more difficult. So if I've been walking every day and I increase my, you know, maybe the intensity or the duration, uh, that can change. And and same things with, you know, doing, learning a new language or something. It's like, it's not easy, but it's also not unreachable. But I think the same thing would have apply to exercise as well, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm I'm a big advocate of frequency over duration for most people. Um, so how can we build more opportunities for movement? And, and, you know, there's, um, if you're familiar with, uh, I'm I'm sure you are the blue zones, uh, where they they did a study of kind of the longest lived people in the world. What they found was none of these were, uh, you know, were gym rats. That wasn't, you know, that kind of formal exercise was not a big part of any of these communities, but what they did have, uh, was a ton of daily movement just by default. Uh, if you're living off the side of a mountain in Sardinia. You're just going to wind up moving a lot if you have to, you know, if I were to, to design, right? And you're talking about kind of designing your environment, like, okay, you've got a sit-stand desk. Um, if someone said, hey, I want to design my home, you know, if we're just going to blue sky. We're going to be ridiculous for a minute. I want to design my home for maximum physical health, but I don't like to exercise. I would say, no problem. You know, put your bathroom up at the top of two flights of stairs, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, load uh, the fridge door weighs weighs a hundred pounds. Um, you're, uh, you know, there's there's a high incline ramp to move from from the living room to the to the bedroom. You know, whatever it is, we would just build all these physical challenges in into your day to day. And and what winds up happening is we don't um, we don't get a stress response in terms of you know the um, catecholamines like you know like cortisol or or uh, adrenaline. Uh, we just adapt and this is just becomes a part of daily living and actually the body is able to i think in, in a lot of ways better assimilate that type of movement um i did want to mention you know there there's some different frameworks um that that we can explore in terms of how we how we approach exercise uh and one of them would be you know so so there are eight senses in the body 
everybody knows the first five. What is um, a lot less discussed is the, is the last three. Uh, and and so it's not uh, not ESP. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, oh. But what we do have is a uh, is a vestibular sense, like your inner ear and your balance. Uh, we have proprioception, which is a sense of where is your body in space. And we have interoception, which is a sense of uh, what do I feel? What's going on? And so that could be something like um, hunger or that could be, um, you know, muscular tension. That could even be emotion. There's there's a lot of, um, you know, the same part of the brain that processes um, that processes interoception, processes emotion. That is... Uh, what do we have? We have the anterior insula and the cingulate cortex. So, um, and and the more tuned into your own body, the more responsive you can be. So, um, and then I have a couple other categories too. So one thing you could do, so depending on your mood, if you just need to re-energize and you just need to um, feel a little more tuned into the day or you're kind of, you're hitting that like 1 p.m. kind of blah, um, you can play around with stuff like balance and that can be for sure from standing on one leg. You can also do, I like to get people back on the floor uh, like they were before they were, you know, when, when they were babies, we can crawl, we can roll. That's particularly good for, for vestibular sense. Um, you can pay attention to, uh, we can choose something that has real technical complexity. So on one end, we might have something like juggling, um, you know, but that could just be a very sort of technical execution, maybe martial arts uh, or, or shadow boxing might, might come into that category where you have to be really precise, right? We can focus on, on sensation, on exteroception, which is the stuff coming from outside of your body. So the pressure and heat and texture and all these things and, and really leaning into that and sort of uh, amplifying it. All these things I think are also allow us to be more in the moment. And then, um, and then finally, you know, I was kind of, I was talking about that that experience of discomfort before, and and I would categorize this as as boundary pushing or sort of building resilience. So if you're feeling good and you're ready for more, what you can do is say do an intense interval would be a great example um, on an exercise bike, a sprint, whatever you know, whatever is is safe for you to do, and then you push until your first signal, I want to stop. And, you know, you're going to, something's going to tell you inwardly, okay, this has gotten too hard or I want, I want to just shut this down and just spend an extra moment there, sort of interrogate that signal and what it really means. Um, because there's sort of, you know, your nervous system is designed to protect you. So especially for a new exerciser, um, those safety, uh, defaults are going to be a lot more sensitive and what more experienced exercisers learn over time is, oh, I can actually push further than this in a safe way and still feel great at the end. But, you know, I don't, I don't recommend doing that in, in a quick way. We want to build that up gradually, but you just, you push yourself to the point of wanting to stop. And you just, you know, you, you're just there, you're present for a moment and say, okay, what does this feel like? What's the signal I'm getting? Um, I'm, I'm going to just give myself five more seconds of feeling really uncomfortable. And then you can stop, then you can relax. And by doing that, you become fitter and you become more resilient. You're building the, the mental skills as well. So I think it's really incredible. I, I've, I've heard you talk about that moment, what the identifying the signal that you're getting that tells you to stop. And it's different for everybody. But mm. once you identify it, uh, then you can expand your capacity, as, as you say, because your body, what I hear you saying is your body is especially if you're a new new to movement you've or new again to movement because things have been 
um, shifted during the few years of the pandemic, really identifying that signal that says, I want to stop and just counting to five or taking a breath and noticing what happens next can not only mm -hmm. expand your capacity for the, the movement that you're doing, but also what I'm hearing you say is expand your capacity to handle discomfort in real life. And I'm a personal big mm -hmm. fan. You know, I don't think everything's outside your comfort zone. I think if we expand our capacities big enough, what was outside is now within and now it's more yeah. easy to have it. Like that's, exactly. that's the way I like to exactly. see it. Like nothing's outside my comfort zone. I just have to expand my comfort zone so that it will include you just that. stretch it. You just stretch yeah. it. And, and so, yeah. So what is that, if not um, a, a display, a beautiful display of executive function and distraction control and focus to just be able to, to butt up against that, that challenging thing and spend a little more time in it. Um, and I, I suspect, and I don't have evidence to back me up on this, but in the same way we look at, say, a cold plunge, which is really popular right now, oh, um, yeah. and it's associated with with dopamine release. I think that experience of of a boundary workout where you're right on the edge and you give yourself the opportunity to do this really hard thing, and you choose to do it. Nobody's forcing you. This is this is something that you choose to do because you want to. Um, I I think we're gonna see if we track it uh, a commensurate dopamine release. That would be really interesting to see. And, and I think the other part of that it, that you really, I really want to highlight is that you're choosing it mm -hmm. consciously and intentionally. There's a, I, I don't have evidence of this, but I think there is something dramatically different between doing something that I have to do, that I should do, that someone's making me do, and choosing to do it to explore a boundary or just being at choice. I think there's something dramatically different that that happens in the moment and and over time. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I think you're right. And I think that a lot of exercise, you know, if we want to talk about um, extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, okay? So there's signals, right? There are all these cultural messages maybe about what your body is supposed to be or what, you know, the type of exercise you're supposed to do. And, you know, I'm a little bit more wary of that stuff because you know what um and and i see this all the time with people who feel compelled to exercise because they're in sort of um they're re in real uh psychological or physical discomfort and and they want to get out of it and so they they embark on an exercise regimen um right or because they feel like they're supposed to right okay. and then as soon as that box is ticked all the motivation drains away uh, and that's where we have a very, you know, this sort of roller coaster ride, and where I think a lot of people have struggled to find a consistent practice. Whereas, if we just focus on what we choose to do and what we like to do, regardless of what it looks like, uh, right, and something that has where the process itself has a real sort of value for us, um, that's the stuff that I think is lifelong and ultimately what we're looking for. And I think the secret to lasting change is picking something that you want to do and that you can do. And then it makes it easier when you have lower motivation to keep doing it, or even to make it a complete habit where you just do it automatically. Um, I was sharing with you and Shabnam earlier that I'm not a stretcher. I've never been flexible and I hate stretching, but um, I was inclined to do it because I felt an internal desire to be more flexible. And I started with a program that basically meets me where I am. So I can be totally inflexible and still do some of the, the bits. 
And after just a few days of doing it and feeling successful, even doing, you know, stretching, quote unquote, badly, I now actually see myself as a person who can continue this lifelong. Like I don't necessarily hate stretching anymore. And I think that's the type of thing that you, Jeff, probably and Shabnam see that once people pick something that matches and is easy enough to do on a consistent basis, they start to not only make it a habit, do it consistently, but maybe even re-identify as the person who actually does those things or stays healthy. Yeah. I right? remember, I remember, um, so I, I own a personal training studio here in Toronto and uh, years ago, this lovely guy showed up, uh, he since moved back to the East coast. Um, and, and he, and he go, before we even start, he's like, look, I'm not a gym person. Okay. Yeah. So he had some health stuff he, you know, he wanted to work on, uh, but he just wanted to clarify that before we got anywhere, yeah. but we agreed, you know, this is going to be a good place for him. And he started training and, um, and he was really consistent. You know, I'm, he's just such a lovely guy. I was, I was a really big fan of him and, uh, and, and, and still am. And, you know, and he was doing this consistently and, um, we started to see physical changes, um, definitely performance changes. Um, you know, he, he was, he was hitting all of his original goals and was kind of digging into the process. Um, and he hadn't really thought about an identity shift. And he said he was back home visiting, um, you know, over the holidays and he, he was out with some people at a, at a pub and they're talking about exercise and he's, he's listening, he's interested in what they have to say. And one of them turns to him and goes, Hey, Adam, you're a fitness guy. What do you, you know, what's your take on this? And he had a moment where he's like, Oh, Oh, I am a fitness guy. And he had, he had become that. And, and, and sometimes you don't even realize it until, um, that's how the rest of the world orients toward you. So, um, you know, and before you become a fitness person, maybe you become a person who just, um, votes in a small way for a particular value or action every day because you think it's important and you think it has a real worth to it. And I think um, it can be as as tiny as that. Exactly. So Chabnam, I want to give you and then Jeff some um, last thoughts before we wrap. Okay. So one question, Jeff, I'm sure you get it. I get it a lot. Is will exercise help me lose weight? Love to know your thoughts. You know, okay, so let's let's put somebody in in you know, maybe in a in a clinical situation like you know, um, aside for a second, like you know, so if someone's like about you know about to lose a foot to to diabetic neuropathy. Okay, we need you know we need a, like an acute intervention. Uh, but for most people who are saying, hey, I, you know, I'd like to, I'm good, I'd like to lose a few pounds. Um. The pros and cons, right? Um, there's some research that says, hey, exercise doesn't really change your body composition. Uh, that's all done through nutrition and lifestyle. Um, and indeed, I would I would advocate for low intensity daily movement uh, at a greater volume, like taking long walks. If you just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm on calls for an hour every day. I'm just going to start taking these um, as I walk. I think that would be a lot more profound than going and doing like a boot camp class once or twice a week. Um, you know, that being said, what, what exercise can do is um, change the way we partition nutrients, which is to say, you know, especially with strength training, that's, that's where we're going to see um, the biggest carryover. So if you start to orient toward putting on muscle and putting on strength and increasing overall function, it does a couple of things. 
right? Um, we have more lean mass on our bodies. Um, so we maybe burn a little, you know, our metabolism revs a little higher when we're sedentary, but then when we are active, we have much bigger engines and, uh, and we can do a lot more. But the other piece of this is, you know, what, what's, what's the most significant um, chunk of metabolism, right? Other than your, your sort of your resting metabolic rate, which is mostly correlated with your body weight, no matter, mm-hmm. you know, what, what shape you're in. Right. The next thing is just spontaneous movement, um, which is like just moving around, twiddling your thumbs. Uh, you know, when you when you jump up and move around or, or or shuffling your feet, waiting in line, this is all stuff. And, you know, researchers have tried to nail down a way to change this or increase it. And I don't know if anyone's ever really um, and I, I don't think there's been a, a method of doing that. But what I can tell you is if you're not in pain, you're way more likely to move. If you're not in pain, you're way more likely to go and, uh, you know, run around with, uh, with your neighbor's kids or, um, or, or, you know, jump over a fence, you know, if you have to, whatever it is. So, um, you know, one of the great, great things about exercise is, is it just builds your body awareness and builds your, your physical toolkit. And that is one of the best things you can do in terms of just maintaining function and being able to enjoy movement and engage in it whenever anything pops up so that would be my my take on it shavna that's that's fantastic so basically what you're saying is fidgetiness gets us better results so because it impacts impacts what is called non-exercise activity thermogenesis and we're not going into that because today is not about weight loss but one important point is a lot of people still even to this day have this sort of uh, you know idea or if i eat something let us say which has 100 calories and again this is like saying 100 calories of broccoli or you know mm-hmm. 100 calories of of uh, pastry it doesn't matter but we know that that's not true so i'm just going to exercise for x number of minutes and that is going to use up the 100 calories and i should be good uh, <laughs> okay so so okay this is this is really important because um, and this is more of a psychology thing than a physiology thing. Yeah. But what what I can't, you know, emphasize enough is don't don't choose exercise um, that is transactional, right? I'm only doing this because of how what I get, right? Like I was saying before, more than anything else, we want to practice. We want this to be lifelong. And there's no version of lifelong practice that doesn't carry with it some enjoyment and meaning. Um, and so rather than trying to optimize or choose, you know, whatever, whatever your, you know, health influencer du jour says is the most effective form of exercise, choose the thing that you like doing. Um, and that's the thing you're most likely to do. Um, and there, there are two reasons for that. And one is, is the sheer, the pleasure of it. Like I said, this stuff is factory installed. Humans enjoy movement when we don't find a way to to just drain the fun out of it. But the other thing is the the problem with the transactional approach to anything is nobody's progress is linear. Nobody makes whatever your goal is, whether it's athletic performance or, or fat loss, nobody just drops the same amount of weight week after week. Like we're, you know, we're machines. There will be a point, I promise, where you hit a plateau and you do everything you can and nothing changes. And if you're, relationship with exercise is transactional. What do you do for me? And it stops doing that thing. Your motivation just drops and, and you're really not likely to 
continue. But if there's an integrity of the practice, if you enjoy doing the thing just because you enjoy doing the thing, you will hang out through that plateau and eventually things will move again. Um, but um, it's going to happen on its own time. And, and, and we almost have to kind of treat that as a separate thing. Thank you. That is such a wonderful explanation. So another important thing that I usually tell my patients is, you know, your body is not like a maths problem, calorie in, calorie out. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you cannot out-supplement, out-exercise, out-anything, poor food choices. So it's not like I'm just taking in something and it's like I exercise and it goes away. It's not as simple as that. But at the same time, you know, while you are making all the food changes, it is very important to incorporate uh, exercise movement if that is not something you're already focused on. So that is what I basically, and again, you know, weight loss is such a big area and so complex. There's no, there are no simple answers for that. But, mm -hmm. uh, and particularly for the brain, like movement at any age, whether you're 90 year old and you decide to take a, like a two minute walk, or whether you're a young person and you decide to just increase your walking by another 15 minutes, there are benefits for all of them, right? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll share something. I have in the back of the gym, I have a $7,000 scale. It is a very fancy uh, scale that, that measures body fat, you know, fairly reliably. Um, that thing has been collecting dust for the last five years or so. Um, although it used to be, right? It used to be part of our uh, initial intake, especially if someone had body composition goals. Um, I don't even mention it anymore. And I don't really talk about body composition uh, with anyone unless they specifically bring it up. And the reason is everybody's process goes better when we don't sweat it. If all we do is, is find a version of action that has value to us, um, all getting rid of the scale has ever done is take the drama out of it because it doesn't matter. You can't yeah. will, you know, wh whatever version, you, you know, however you think you're supposed to look. And, and the other part of it is, um, you know, what I would say to anyone starting, even if in your head you're saying, okay, I need to lose a bunch of fat and I have these reasons. I mean, again, if you're in acute sort of um, distress, that's another story. But if it's just sort of a nice to have, I would submit to you, you're fine as you are. Like, like Mr. Rogers said, I like you as you are. Um, you know, you're special just the way you are. Um, so you're good, right? The only question I have for you is what is a way that you would like to live your life that is more in alignment with your values? And I think everything else will organize from there. So let's find a version of action and a version of movement, uh, that to you is, is inherently enjoyable and, and speaks to the kind of person you are. I think if you start there, you're going to be just fine. I think that's the the perfect place to to end uh this podcast and i want to say thank you jeff for your wisdom and um your unique perspective that's going to give so many people hope uh that they actually can change and shift their identity maybe they'll even become a fitness person when they didn't think they were huh. You are looking for Jeff, please reach out to Jeff. He is a wealth of information. Check out his uh, podcast, the Dad Strength Podcast. Uh, his website is dadstrength.com. And his he's on Instagram at the Dad Strength Podcast. Everything will be in the show notes. 
Uh, if you are enjoying this, please like and subscribe. And you can find all the episodes at drcarmd.com slash podcast, drcarmd.com slash podcast. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>